Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Marvel Vision, a podcast about the MCU, and right now, Phase One, Iron Man. Let's I'm kick Alex. it off. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Pete. And in the break between Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki, we are going to be revisiting Phase One of the MCU ooh, movies, kicking ooh. it off with the one that started it all, Iron Man. There you go. Iron Man from May 2nd, 2008. You probably all know this, but directed by John Favreau, written That's by... Right. Uh, you know these names, of course, as well, Pete. Mark Fergus, Hawk yeah. Ostby, the Art Markham, and Hawk. Uh, Matt Holloway. The oh, four Holloway. writers. It, I mean, you got you see Holloway's prints all over this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you say all the way Holloway is what oh, you would yeah. always say. Now, normally what we've been doing on this podcast is we've been talking about the currently running MCU Disney Plus shows. This obviously is going back. Uh, we revisited the movie. Some of us watched it uh, again to like get a more... Uh, current view of it. Uh, but I figured what we could do is kind of talk about what it's like watching the movie now, thinking about the movie now, just in retrospect, now that Bringing we're you back. a oh, quarter yeah. of a century movies and TV shows oh, man. in here. Uh, I haven't changed. It, I haven't changed a bit since this game. <laughs> My life's the same. <laughs> and then at the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about some of the future of Iron Man in the MCU. But first of all, Justin, you rewatch the movie. What was your take on it now watching it at this point? Uh, 13 years later, I guess. Yeah, uh, 13, a lot of years. Um, it was, there's some stuff that feels a little dated, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But in general, it's like, oh, wow, this movie was pretty risky, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Like, they really make Tony Stark um, a jerk at the beginning of this uh, movie in the way that most superhero movies don't really do. Like, he is a bad guy. There's a real way this could have gone where he is... He's the villain. He's like Stain, uh, maybe not as bad as him, but very much in line with his way of thinking. And I love that about this. And just the other thing is like, I don't know if this would have all happened if not for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Like, he's unbelievable in this movie. Well, there were a couple of interesting things that I found when I was researching after watching again, which just like little note. I also, this movie's good. Like, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. Like you're saying, there's some things that don't necessarily hold up. But of course, there are always things that aren't necessarily going to hold up over a decade later with any movie. But the things that I was kind of surprised to find out, I think everybody knows that Robert Downey Jr. was not in a great place when this movie happened. Uh, He was a big star, but he had done drugs, hit a very, very low point in his career to the point where he almost didn't have a career. And, they and can, let me say, I've yeah. always loved him. I'm a huge yeah. RDG oh, fan, wow. top to bottom. Even before all this, there's a movie he did called Chaplin, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And that was... Well, you're um, a classically trained actor. That's like in your wheelhouse. That's in your wheelhouse of like, you yeah. know. Yeah. Any, anytime an actor steps up and does some acting, it's sort of in my wheelhouse. You know? yeah, well, yeah, this yeah. is part of the reason John Favreau wanted Robert Downey Jr. was, to put it bluntly, this damage in his career. He felt like he really could, from a real-world perspective, channel 
what was going on with Tony Stark in the movie, but also have that story to kind of sell the film in a certain way, that it's Iron Man's redemption story. It's also Robert Downey Jr.'s redemption story. The things that I thought were kind of surprising uh, when I was reading about it, first of all, Robert Downey Jr., didn't have to audition, but chose to audition because he was considered such a risk. And for somebody in his career at that level, even with all of the stuff behind him, usually don't. So apparently he wore a tux, came in, blow everybody away, immediately became the first choice. The previous first choice, the one that they wanted before Robert Downey Jr. came and audition was Sam Rockwell, who ended up becoming Justin Hammer, the villain the anti-Tony Stark in Iron Man 2, which I thought was kind of neat. Yeah, and I cool. do think he he has the sort of skills and uh, qualities, I think, that he could have been a good Tony Stark, but it would have been a different sort of a, you'd like him a little less. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, like, the uh, the thing about, like, having Tony Stark, like, kind of in that car and, like, that ACDC back in black moment is why is also interesting because it's not only is uh like this character kind of like back uh uh but also uh the the you know Robert Downey Jr himself so it was kind of like there was some interesting winking going on early in this movie yeah absolutely i, I mean just to finish up the setup things that also I, I was kind of surprised to find out Iron Man wasn't what they originally planned on starting with, with these Marvel Studios film. It it was something that had been in development for, I think, over 20 years at this point in various aspects. They had it at Universal. They had it at New Line, I think. Tom Cruise was very interested at one point. Quentin Tarantino was going to take a crack at the script. Also, Hmm. interestingly, uh, and we'll get to this when we talk about Avengers, and obviously there's a lot of controversy about this, but Joss Whedon took a crack at the script as well and was hired at one point. So there's a lot of backstory there, a lot of people involved. Even Nicolas Cage put in his hat, of course, of course. to play yeah. Iron Man. He has always he has, too many, has so many hats, he's putting them everywhere. <laughs> he's got hats in every every little yeah. movie. But bridge. what happened was when Marvel Studios decided, you know what, these movies are not going great. We have X-Men over at Fox. That was a big hit. We have Spider-Man over at Sony. That's a big hit, but we don't have anything we own ourselves. They decided we're going to make our own movies. They held on to the rights of Iron Man long enough for it to revert to them, which apparently pissed off New Line a little bit because they actually did want to make an Iron Man movie. But the goal was not to make a hit movie. The goal was to sell toys because that's how Marvel was making their money at the time. And (laughs) so those idiots. What they did, and this is wild, (laughs) is they did a focus group with kids of all the characters that they had the rights to, their plan was to start with Captain America. And the kids said, no, we like this Iron Man guy. And they're like, all right, that's going to sell the most toys. Let's do that. Let's do exactly. that. Kids were like, yeah. wow. I want the hard drinking robot man. <laughs> <laughs> I love demon in a bottle. <laughs> Why? I want him to be, have a complicated weapons contract with America. <laughs> <laughs> and they deliver right there in the first act. Kids are like, oh, make the terrorist attack very bloody. <laughs> it's very upsetting. The, the irony oh of God. the bomb has even his name on it and blowing up his taste. It's like a cookie. Can he, after in the flashback, sleep with Leslie Bibb? I want to kind of see her naked back. It's like a little edgy for PG-13. <laughs> it's true. Oh my God. Yeah. These, these focus groups are insane. Yeah. They really it focus. was me adjusted, actually. We yeah. were the focus. But we do perfect oh, kid yeah. impressions. It's they, our fault. <laughs> uh, just to kind of wrap up this little bit, and then we can actually get into the movie, the thing that also is kind of funny about it is because of the content of the movie, 
And the fact that Iron Man was an untested property that nobody knew, nobody wanted to make toys for it. Like, they eventually did, and they got some marketing things. But apparently, Marvel had a very hard time convincing anybody to make toys from Iron Man. They even tried to tie it into Spider-Man 3 and said, hey, you can get all these Spider-Man 3 toys set up if you just do these Iron Man toys. And people are like, I don't know. Nobody wants to be a guy in a heavy metal robot suit. That doesn't make any sense. Instead, they were like, Spider-Man 3 is a surefire hit. No one <laughs> that. No question. So there's a lot more backstory there that we can probably get into as we're going through this. But uh, let's talk through the movie. Pete, you love, I think, Iron Man the most of any of us. You're a huge Favreau head. Yeah. You love Chef is your number one, I think. Yep. Don't don't fucking try to tarnish my shit right now, okay? This yeah. is a nice moment for me. Well, right? You love what? Made, Iron Man is, made is your favorite one? Made, made is a, a good movie. I'm not going <laughs> to... Swingers is the best. But all right, so first okay. off, like, this has comedic timing like uh, the the comedic touch on this movie is undeniable and the fact that John Favreau is directing this is just perfect cuz he 4 minutes in you're he's iron man like there's no like like a comedian he's cutting the fat getting to the stuff like it is um, <laughs> really well done what are, what are you talking about i'm talking it's about like half like, an hour in he's iron man well, no, like in four, like four minutes in is when he gets blown up. Gets like it's already okay. You know, you're saying the injury is what makes him Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. He's got this. Wakes up with a thing in his chest. He's Iron um, Man. He's got to figure it out. And it's especially crazy because John Favreau had to drive Robert Downey Jr. around this whole time as well. And he was still <laughs> directing. Yeah, yeah. It's fucked and up. You love Happy Hogan. You love John Favreau oh, yeah. as Foggy Nelson. Yep, yep. From the best version of Daredevil. Oh, stop. But John Favreau, <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't. The dude's money. He's so, so money. He's so money. And he doesn't wow. even know it. He actually got this job. I mean, I think most people know this, but he got this job off of starring as Foggy Nelson in the Daredevil movie because he became friendly with Avi Arad, who's produced a ton of the movies. And that's how he ended up snagging this job. Um, a lot of people apparently didn't want to direct it because it was this very risky project. And they ended up with Favreau, which kind of set the mold for the entire MCU. This is all an unproven comedic I mean, It's even directors. beyond the MCU. Yeah. It's like all blockbuster entertainment. Yeah. Like the the style and pacing of this movie is what blockbusters are now. Like there's no yeah. doubt about it. Like high action, lots of jumping around. Comedy. Um, jokes happening in the middle of action. And like you see the DC movies trying to hit this tone and they just don't quite have it and i don't know what special sauce they have over there or whose hand is really guiding that but it's really striking to me that other movies can't replicate this and it Mm -hmm. really is a signature marvel style yeah i mean it's it's really impressive like how in depth it feels but it's also going so quickly like the it, the movie slows down at like important moments and skips through a lot. Like it's it's really impressive how much is covered in this movie. Like we get to see the whole kind of like first Iron Man suit, second Iron Man, like just the whole kind of like evolution of it. And it's it's impressive how much is packed in this movie. You have amazing rom com moments with Pepper, like really touching, powerful moments, like. It's badass. It's hilarious. It's it's it does a lot of the things. Once again, the road to success is right through Foggy Nelson. Mm-hmm. I think we all know that. It's it's, it's funny heart. you mention this, and this is probably the first of many times you're going to yell at me on this podcast, Pete. Yep. But I do think 
that is one of the strengths and also one of the weaknesses of the movie that there are so many things they had covered and so many great sequences and on their own I really love a lot of them like the stuff with is it Yinzen the guy who was just trapped with in the cave really yeah. nice don't you Very... talk shit about Yinzen what are you about to do right now I'm about to say it's really nice and emotional Pete okay yes. holy shit Really nice and emotional. Their bond is great. It sets it up. It's not exactly this, but they clearly tweaked it a little bit to make it this very Uncle Ben type mentorship role where his death is the thing that motivates Tony Stark throughout the movie. And I think they sell that really well, but it has this very act three act structure there that's very specific where it often feels like you're jumping from one movie to another in a very specific way. Justin, you were going to jump in and say something. I oh, think. I was going to say, I, I agree with you about the Yinsen stuff. It made me want to hear more about him mm-hmm. in later movies. Like, it feels like it's done so well. It really feels like a a tentpole for Tony's change in career. And sort of after he leaves the cave, you don't really hear much about him. <laughs> well, yeah. it's but it's you know, it's because of that powerful bond that really changes Tony's life. Like he's sitting there and he's like depressed as shit being like, I have a week to live. And then he's like, so this is an important week for you. Like unbelievable. Like just the way it was delivered, like how it was said was just, and and for me, the, the casting in this movie is we're still feeling, I mean, fucking Jarvis, we got WandaVision. I mean, the casting in this movie is unbelievable at every step and turn. Wait, I have a, I have a question for you guys because I didn't know this fact. Uh, do you know offhand what Jarvis stands for in the movies? Not in the comic book, but in the movies because it's an acronym. Oh, Pete, you're yeah. an Iron Man head. You know this. You watched a YouTube video beforehand. <laughs> no? Um, uh, vision is the V? No, it's just a rather very intelligent system. Wow. That wow. is a stretch. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And apparently Paul Bettany, when he was recording this stuff, he was like, yeah, easiest job I ever did. I don't know what was going on in the movie. He just came in, recorded a bunch of stuff over the course of day, got paid. It was great. And then like you're saying, Pete, 13 years later, he's this incredible emotional dude uh, in WandaVision and he's the heart and soul of that. And it's awesome. Plus we Um, get like the Coulson thing, right? You know, like mm -hmm. it's just, there's so much that happens in this movie to launch uh, Marvel in such a great kind of position and have so much to kind of pull from. It's really impressive. I forgot how much Coulson was a part of this. I thought he was just like, hi, would you mind having a meeting with me? But in fact, he like, he saves, saves the, the day. day yeah. End, it's also I, funny uh, stuff like that, like the shield bit that goes throughout. Yeah. Uh, that also the 10 rings, which I'm sure we could talk about because yeah. that's coming up later in the MCU. That but, really caught me off guard. I yeah. was surprised. But the that. shield bit where he's like, yeah, we're kind of figuring out the name. And then later, 13 years later, they're like, there's decades of history. Also, Tony Stark's father founded this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 A little so. bit of casual retconning there in a movie they were like, maybe this will be a success, but no way would they ever have predicted. Um, totally. And, I want to talk. Uh, wait, wait, wait. I just, uh, you know, since Zalbin's going to disperse me, I just want to say I have seen you Iron smirch? Man. Is that what you're. Disperse? Well, I'm going to. You're smirching me. All right. I don't know whatever the real <laughs> word is, but don't smirch me. All right. So like, I'm just smirching your otter. Yeah. Like I have seen Iron Man. Over a hundred times. So, yeah, I watched a YouTube video to refresh myself before we did the thing. But don't fuck with my shit like no that. One, no, no nobody is besmirching you or your honor in any way. I just, you watched a YouTube video. Like, that's all I did for this. No, so this, I'm is not this is a cue up. This is a cue up for you to talk about. 
<laughs> Before we got on, you were like, yeah, I watched a YouTube video. And I said, oh, which one? You're like, wait until I tell you on the podcast. So I was queuing you up to say it on the podcast. No, no. You're just never going to tell us. Was it like dramatic chipmunk or something? Was it a party in the USA? I don't know how this has become about the YouTube video when it was clearly about the fact that you were like throwing me under the bus. Okay, one hundred percent was that. Uh, we're all under the bus, Pete, but some of us are looking at the stars. Um, let's talk the, about Terrence Howard. Like, yes, yes. Now, I don't know. I liked his roadie in this. Roadie was great. I, I I feel like you know not to say not to besmirch Don Cheadle in any way. <laughs> don't merch him. Uh, don't smirch him. Yeah, uh, please hammer. Don't smirch him. Uh, I do. I really like Terrence Howard. Like, it's funny. Can you like what would the, how would the MC be different if Terrence Howard had stayed as as Rhodey? Man, I don't know. I agree with you. His energy is so good, and his energy with Robert Downey Jr. is so good in this movie, and so much fun. You know, reportedly, and who knows? Apparently, he's difficult to work with on set, uh, and. For better or for worse, what Marvel goes for is team players. They want people who can come in and do yeah. the job and aren't going to create too much trouble, and that's pretty much it. And Terrence Howard, as far as I've read, was the reason they were able to get the cast that they were. Like, he was had a ton of heat on him, having yeah. just done Hustle and Flow. Uh, I don't think he was on Empire yet. Maybe he was, but whatever it was, he was a hot commodity. They cast him first out of anybody and were able to leverage him to get the rest of the cast. Then when they decided, nope, we're not going to give you much money for the sequel, he was like, I'm out. And then ultimately Don Cheadle got a ton more money than he did. Yeah. So it's good for Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle, good as War Machine. Enjoy him. But. I, I don't know if Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. have the same easy, fun rapport that Robert Downey Jr. and Terrence Howard have. A hundred percent. Like, there's, I don't buy the friendship between Don Cheadle and Robert Downey Jr. nearly as much as Terrence Howard. There's a great little cut in well, the early part of the movie where they're on the plane. He's like, it's hot sake. I don't, I'm not drinking anything. And it hard cuts into him holding the hot sake later, being like, here's the thing, Tony, what we need to do. And it's just like, <laughs> it's so real, so funny. I thought that was great. Yeah, but I just think that, like, the difference also, like, Don Cheadle came in to be a more kind of, like, business kind of, like, um, I'm not on the side of Tony Stark. I'm on a different – it's, like, a different – part. it was, like, a different roadie. You know what I mean? So Terrence like, Howard is kind of the war machine, and Don Cheadle is more the business machine. Yeah, yeah. So it was, like, you know, that was kind of different parts. So, like, Don Cheadle definitely would have brought something interesting to their relationship. I don't want to – underplay uh, uh, Cheadle here. So, like, I think he's a really good actor, but just different. And I think it would have been a kind of different movie. So it's interesting the fact that we got Terrence Howard here and kind of got this, like, buddy kind of closeness thing and then later saw a kind of different roadie. Uh, yeah, but businessman, uh, business wars are all my, uh, some of my favorite um, <laughs> business machine. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, business business machine. Machine. you got it. <laughs> I will say, just to kind of wrap up this Terrence Howard discussion, uh, that last moment where he sees, I think it's the Mark II armor and says, next time. Next such time. a great moment. Such a bummer in retrospect that we didn't get yeah. to see him do it. But yeah. again, Don Cheadle, great. We like Don Cheadle. Let's uh, talk about Pepper wait, Potts. Wait, Let's talk wait, about Wait, 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 wait. Just yes. before we, we wrap up, Rhodey, the the line where he was like 
after Tony Zark survives and is laying there and he rolls up and was like, how was the fun V? I mean, that was just such a great callback, mm-hmm. like such a great yeah. bit and like delivered like the really just kind of like for me, I was just like, wow, this is this is a hilarious relationship. Well, this is another thing that I think actually before we get to Pepper Potts that I think would be good for us to talk about. And this is another thing that I do think even I recall seeing it back in 2008 feeling like this was led to some of the best moments and some of my least favorite moments of the movie is that a large majority of it was improvised. Uh, part oh, yeah. of it was John the, Favreau. Well, it's John Favreau. It's also the fact that they were rolling very quickly with this script. When they first introduced yeah. it at Comic-Con, John Favreau came out and said, the villain is the Mandarin. And then by the next Comic-Con, when they had already filmed a chunk of the movie, they were like, uh, there's no Mandarin. Actually, Obadiah Stane is the villain. He apparently was supposed to be the villain in the second one. They were going to build him up. Instead, they switched it when Jeff Bridges came on. Uh, and then they just didn't have most of the script finished. So Robert Downey Jr. in particular felt very comfortable improvising. Apparently, Jeff Bridges did not at all at first and was very uncomfortable with it until he brought around his thinking and did realized, I think the phrase was, it's a $200 million student film is what he called it. Oh, and then he was like, all right, fine. It's cool. Rather than fighting against it, let me just kind of roll with everything that's going on set. But we've all done improv. We've all done comedy. I think, you know, so you win some, you lose one, and you do get great moments where, like, Terrence Howard and Robert Downey Jr. are able to roll with it, but I don't think Gwyneth Paltrow is able to roll with the improv in the same right. way. Well, I think you actually just watched a YouTube video about improv, right, Alex? I, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that. How dare you besmirch me? <laughs> I am besmirched. So yeah. You're smirched. Um, yeah, don't well, smirch a on things themselves. There. Um, on the script thing, like, it, I, that's why I feel like the Ten Rings stuff – in the first act feels like, oh, this is a Mandarin movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's clearly now we're getting to Shang-Chi where they really run with that. And it's the same yeah. like, iconography in this movie so many years earlier that we're seeing in the in the run up to Shang-Chi. Like, that's so cool. The fact that they're able to do that in the most subtle way possible that was a sort of accidental, really, a mistake. Uh, you could even say like that they were like, we're, the Mandarin's a villain. And they're like, no, Obadiah Stane is. It also lets Jeff Bridges uh, and Stane in general just be an underplayed character. He doesn't get his like heel turn until, you know, almost halfway through the movie, which I thought was so surprising and made the movie yeah. so much more unpredictable and fun. Because also Bridges, you know, you don't think like evil guy. He really plays like uh, that in such an interesting way. And it's a creepy that you don't it's not like he's being loud or big. It's like he just like gets like when he like walks up to Pepper Potts and like gets in her personal space to grab a newspaper, mm-hmm. like it, the your heart is going crazy because of like just the way he's moving and the fact of like what we know, but what does he know? Like, I'm glad that he was able to kind of take himself down a notch or whatever to be like, hey, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to do some improv and like we can make this student film happen. I will say when he rolled up, one of the most more subtle moments. When he rolled up smoking a cigar on a Segway, I was like, oh. hero or villain? <laughs> <laughs> what, what is this man? Yeah, I just want to mention, funny. because you mentioned the scene, Pete, I love the stinger on that newspaper scene where they just have this long shot of him saying, I want to do the puzzle. Puzzle. Yeah. Puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which was like, and technically he does. He, he did like that. He, yeah. That was before he was 
after or suspicious mm-hmm. of her. He really did want to do the puzzle. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, great motivation there. Also, yeah. like the him going back for that extra slice of pizza is such an evil move. Like mm. as he's dying, he's still taking the last of that man's pizza. I mean, damn. Wait, what did you just call him? Pizza? Did you, no, did you say Ackman? What? <laughs> I don't know. It sounded like you said Ackman. Smirch. No. Smirch. I like that you, I'm smirching you, you. Alex is like, what'd you say? And Pete, you were like, pizza? <laughs> pizza? Now, what I was mentioning earlier about the weakness of the improv, I do think that shows up a lot in the third act, which was one of the few parts of the movie that was completely pre-planned because they had you know, made the animatics for the entire last sequence, the big fight. So that was already set. I think you get these great improv moments that are very loose and interesting that they were clearly playing around with on set. But that's the one where it just becomes big CGI robot fight. It's not as impressive as or interesting as a lot of the rest of the movie. And you get this dialogue thrown in that feels almost like video game lines of, you know, particularly Obadiah Stane being like, I'm a big robot or whatever he's shouting, you know? Um, What do you guys think of the end of the movie? Well, first off, I I was a little confused if you were taking a shot at improv or third acts when you were saying like the weak improv. No, just Iron Man. Just Iron Man. Uh, But I mean, in in his defense, if I uh, turned into a giant robot, I think I would yell, I'm a giant robot a bunch of times. So, (laughs) you know, I'm not mad at that. I mean, yeah, it was a little clunky having his big robot versus the smaller, quicker Iron Man more advanced. But um, I think that like, yeah, it wasn't like the greatest part of the movie, but the actual ending of the movie is such a uplifting, like, yeah, moment that like, fine. Okay. It got a little weird where little guy beats, you know, David and Goliath moment. So like, whatever. Well, and for me, it was in rewatching it. I was like, Oh, this is the last fight. It's sort of, you, because of the way it's structured, you sort of fall into it really quickly. And it's, which is very different from a lot of the MCU movies going forward, where it was like, very much setting up the final fight and you sort of knew you were in it when it was coming. And this was like, whoops, here you are, you're in it. And Pepper sort of doing her thing. Colson's there. Um, and it happens sort of fast and then it's over. So, uh, I, I thought it was different. I didn't hate it. No. I just thought it felt a little, to your point, Alex, a little like herky jerky, the way it was like, Oh, they're going into space. Cause it's, that's where it'll freeze. And then it's like, Oh, that didn't work at, at all. <laughs> and then they're back doing this other thing. And then, uh, the sort of EM explosion that ends up killing him. That's the thing is I don't hate any part of this movie. I think there's things that this is the first movie in an extended movie series that they had to figure out things like they were setting the mold to figure it out later, but they didn't knock it out of the park. The first time they got a uh, ground rule double. Is that how baseball works? Mm. Wow. Wow. Pete. Sports expert, was that the video that you watched about? Sure, sure. Ground how rule baseball doubles, works. Uh, that works. How baseball work? <laughs> Search at YouTube. Yep. <laughs> Don't you smirch baseball work? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, we should talk about Pepper Potts, though. We kind of skipped over yes, a little yes, bit. Please. How do you feel about Gwyneth Paltrow, who has become a wellness guru in the intervening time? <laughs> you can see the goop all over the wall. Mm-hmm. Oh, come about. on. Come on. No, um, I mean, the. That love story is just magical. The back and forth that they have, the fact that, like, you know, he's literally dying. She saves him, and he's like, you're all I have. And then later she says, you're all I got, too. I mean, come on. It's 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 just magic. It's, it's beautiful. 
I mean, it's a tough. This movie, this is where it sort of had a little bit of it's showing its age. Like the way they talk about the movie talks about women in general mm-hmm. is sort of like, oh, this wouldn't yeah. fly at all anymore. Sure, sure. Um, and there's a little bit of that in the relationship with between uh, Pepper and Tony. And I do think Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow have great chemistry in the movie, despite the fact that there's a lot of him. Like, her whole movie is just being like, Tony, how can I help? And so she's very one dimensional in that way. And I do think. I would like to see more things happening with her. And that is the character in the comics, but I think that's also dated in a, in a way where it, this, this role, this character should have more going on than just absolute devotion to a guy who's like sort of a jerk through, at least in the beginning of the movie. And eventually you do start to see that he does care for her, but not in a super outward way. Like he's like, they're flirting and the romance is going somewhere. It seems like, but it's not like he's like pepper, I mean, she saves his life like multiple times in this movie. Like his heart is the, the her giving him that that he doesn't open. She yeah. does a weird job wrapping that, by the way. Oh come wrapping on, dude! Like how come I on, Christmas presents. So what? Sometimes you just brown bag it. What's the big deal? The tape job was suspect. Pepper. So what? Well, she seems like a meticulous person. Why is she uh, using like four pieces of scotch tape? Because she, she's probably on a phone, like making an appointment, doing a bunch of different stuff at once. And, you know. Yeah, I'm basically tape- that was the worst part of the movie. <laughs> Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, But anyway, my point is, uh, I do think uh, they would have given this movie would be better if she if Pepper had more more going. Yeah, I think the treatment of women and that also goes back to Leslie Bibb's character, which is just very weird and a bad trope that people have pointed out, I think, a lot more after Iron Man, the idea of a reporter sleeping with their sources. I, as a reporter, do that all the time, mind you. But I think it's still it's a bad trope. Yeah. It's a bad trope that you live by. Yes, exactly. No, but it is. It's a bad trope. What weapons developer have you been sleeping with? Uh, (laughs) Elon Musk. (laughs) Uh, And that's obviously a bad trope. Also, the treatment of Ten Rings in general, just having like generic evil Arab terrorists is not great in retrospect. And it's funny. We'll get to this eventually down the road, I assume. But the twists that they throw on there with Iron Man 3 with this organization, I think, really work to recontextualize a lot of that. Uh, and obviously, also, when we talk about Iron Man 2 in a couple of weeks, that will they completely avoid it pretty much. Yeah. So good for them. Yeah. Alex, you were at one point sleeping with both Lockheed and Martin, right? <laughs> it was tough. Double dates in the same restaurant. Oh, boy. Oh, Classic Mrs. Doubtfire situation. You know, you, I don't think that's what that is. I don't think. First off, that movie's not known for that. Even though if that's in there, I don't think. It's the most famous even, scene. No, I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Before we move to the future, I just want to read through a couple of other little facts that I jotted down here. Um, about the movie. Uh, Tom Morello was a guard for the Ted Riggs yeah, in one yeah. scene, and he did the music for the movie. Also, Pete, I don't know if you know this one, unless this is in your YouTube video, Ghostface Killer actually had a scene in the movie that was set in Dubai, but they cut the whole sequence because it felt out of place. Oh, that's hmm. tough. Real bummer. Yeah. There. Uh, oh, and this was another one. I had completely forgotten about this, but this was such a major part of the MCU phase one. Do you guys remember the Marvel brain trust that they brought in? Yes. Where it was Mark Millar, Brian Michael Bendis, Joe Quesada, Tom Brevoort, Axel Alonso, and Ralph Macchio. And they were these comic book writers who were basically tasked, comic book writers and editors and creators, tasked with saying, hey. And the Karate Kid? 
Yeah, the Karate Kid Ralph Macchio. That's exactly who I mean. Okay. They were tasked with making sure that this actually was true to the characters, which even with X-Men, I think this is arguable, even with X-Men, even with Spider-Man being huge hits, they weren't exactly what comic book fans wanted. And I think this gets to the core of what actually works about Iron Man and the MCU in general is they make it so that anybody can watch it. Anybody who has never heard of Iron Man can watch this movie and enjoy this movie. But even though it's essentially different from the comics, it still feels true to them throughout. And I think a lot of that goes back to that work, probably, that that Marvel Brilliant Brain Trust laid in very early on. Well, and I think what they do is it's not about fan service. It's not about putting an Easter egg in or a reference. So it's like, look, you know this, you like it. It's taking what works and what makes the iconic stories about each of these characters iconic and being like, this is a great story in comic book form. So let's figure out why, and then use those things to make it a great story in movie form. And it's just a a smart way of going about the business of it, of being like, these people, this brain trust, understands the storytelling of comics that make this story huge. Let's just do it for the movies, rather than try to make it about sneaking in fan references, because that's just not where the power is here. Yeah. And I think that comes down to the post credit sequence, which is another thing that created a seismic shift in the movie industry. Yeah. There were post credit sequences and mid credit sequences before that here and there. But this thing with Nick Fury made it so that everybody sticks through every credits for every movie from now yeah. on. Like you expect, yeah. you want there to be a mid credits or a post credit sequence. And yeah. this is one... Honestly, this is one of my most salient memories of this movie is seeing it midnight at a movie theater in New York when it opened, like on opening day and packed movie theater. I had a great time watching it, even at midnight. But as the credits rolled, everybody started filtering out of the movie yeah. theater because nobody knew that there was a post credits. Well, we weren't at the point where I was like, no, stop, no, stop. Because even I, you know, I had heard rumors that there was something, so I decided to hang around because at that point it was two in the board anyway, so where was I going? But I stayed in there, and one other guy all the way in the front of the movie theater, this was like a huge auditorium were there, so it was just the two of us. That man was Pete LePage. Yeah, I was going to say, that might have been me. (laughs) Well, and I remember so clearly when that scene came up, just the two of us in the movie theater, be in the middle him all the way in the front. I love sitting in the front. Nick Fury comes out and says, what do you know about the Avenger initiative? And the guy just goes, yes, <laughs> yes. And it was great. And we just shared that moment. And the two of us walked out afterwards and like, that's so cool. They're going to announce Avengers. That's awesome. Who could wait? Awesome. Just shared that moment and a light kiss. And that was it. <laughs> yeah. And that I don't was remember Lockheed. us holding hands on the way out. That yeah, was that's Dave where I Lockheed. Yeah. That's where I met him. Yeah. I saw uh, it the next morning with Barton. Pretended I had never seen the movie before. I was like, oh, wow, maybe we should stick through the credits. Okay. Iron Man. (laughs) All right. There are a couple of things that we we haven't touched upon that I want to just talk about. And if, you know, like amazing uh, comedic stuff, you know, the fire extinguishing robot is, I mean, that was just, that's comedy gold. I mean, that was just hysterical when he crashed through and then the fire extinguisher. I mean, come on. It was, and then like later him being like, don't you dare. Like it was, it was just, it was fantastic. Also the fact where he like, when he suits up for the first time, when it's finally ready and he puts that on and like the whole kind of like, that was like, you get chills. It was like really just a powerful, cool ass moment 
And then the comedy bit of him crashing back and getting the fungus. I mean, just just great. I, I, just one thing that I want to mention off of that is I love you're talking about the final armor, right? Like the red and yeah. yellow armor. Yeah, when he finally exactly. Gets into that. Yeah. I love that they're able to have this amazing heroic movement in this movie. And that a couple of scenes later have a hilarious moment where he's trying to take it off. And it's just yeah. ripping pieces off yeah. of him in the most awkward manner. And that's great. And, like that they can lift this up. And I think, again, this gets to the core of these MCU heroes, that they lift them up, they make them heroic, but they make them human at the same time. And the th- that line where he's like, this isn't the weirdest thing you caught me doing or whatever it was, yeah. was like a great kind of like bit. Yeah, because uh, but- we all know what he meant. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah, like we said, not. But anyways, also like when he... It- like you get a badass walk away explosion where he like launches the thing at the the rocket the tank a small little rocket thing and then turns and like it explodes. I mean that's just I'll tell I you mean, what that's my least favorite scene of the movie. Yeah. Wow, right, that well. that whole attack scene, the fact that he has spent the first bunch of the movie learning that he shouldn't create weapons and then he immediately comes down kills a bunch of terrorists kills them b- kills them like straight up kills Not them a blows big them Iron up Man thing yeah in a huge way. And that's really the only heroic thing that he does in the movie before he fights Obadiah Stane. That's a uh, that's a bummer to me. It's well filmed, to your point, Pete. But I that scene just rubs me the wrong way. Okay, yeah. I can understand that. Thirteen years. Okay, well, I'm sorry to bring it up, but uh, a couple of kids and families get saved, so that was nice. Um, and <laughs> also, when he's flying back, that whole thing about like. Uh, you know, like him hiding, like just like flapping around on a plane and like calling Rhodey was hysterical. And it's the Iron Man cartoon theme that is the ringer tone. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just, yeah. it's, it's, it's comedy gold. That's a little fourth wall breaking right there. That's some fun. A uh, couple things I wanted to highlight. Um, obviously, catchphrase that you share with um, Tony Stark, Pete, cheeseburger first. Yeah. For mm-hmm. when he comes back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's um, just. We got the Stanley sense. Hugh Hefner cameo, which yeah. I'd forgotten that was the first one, essentially, yeah. which was weird. That is weird. He plays Larry King in one of the movies as well, right? Maybe yeah. Iron Man 2? Maybe I'm forgetting. I, I do like the real world people, Stanley playing real people, a uh, version of the cameo cycle of his. Um, the Pepper hacking into the uh, the computer when it the files were like secret. Top secret, ultra secret. I was like, oh, <laughs> someone did this quickly. This was not super thought through. Um, another cool thing, uh, Stain's a sonic paralysis device. Oh, man. Yeah. They, they, they don't explain it. It just happens, and we don't ever talk about it again. Like, <laughs> I thought, I was like, that's cool. I, I don't need a whole long explanation about how he's been developing this and how he can use it, which I feel like a lot of movies do. And so it's just like, no, this thing does this, and he's using it to... Right. And he uses it in two scenes in very close succession, and it never comes back in any way. Yeah. Yep. Strange, yeah. but cool. cool. And then, like, uh, I guess two other things. Like, the in the post credit scene, Samuel Jackson is literally talking to the fans. He's like, you're part of a larger universe. You just don't know it yet. Like, there's yeah. no – he's talking to Tony Stark technically, but he's literally, like, looking right down the lens <laughs> of the camera. Yeah. Um, and then just the fact that Tony Stark comes clean and says, I'm Iron Man in that last yeah. press conference, like – Fantastic. Great. But also, like, we get, like, ACDC in the movie, but we don't get the Iron Man song, and they immediately crank right into the Iron Man song. I mean, just the timing, the thing, it was just just unbelievable. Great. Two other things that I wanted to mention just as background, and then we'll move on 
to future stuff. Uh, we mentioned Coulson earlier. Apparently, that was supposed to be just a one scene thing. And then they liked Clark Gregg so much, they kept bringing him Who back doesn't? for more scenes. That's so, that, that was the start of it, of all of us getting addicted to Coulson right there. Of like, I want more of that Coulson guy. And you've been in recovery for 10 years now, right, yeah. Pete? Yeah. Congratulations, yeah. by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) And then the last thing on the Nick Fury thing, I'm sure you guys will be surprised to learn about this, but originally Brian Michael Bendis wrote three pages of dialogue for Nick Fury to say in that scene. (laughs) uh, Yeah, Brian Michael Bendis. No way. Yeah. And then they cut it down. They're like, ah, let's just choose the best lines on set and have them say that instead. There was also apparently, which I hadn't heard before, a version where Fury mentioned radioactive bugs Gamma monsters and mutants in that speech, which they actually filmed, but then found out that the rights were tied up with Fox and Sony, so they couldn't actually do it. Yeah, they should have known that. (laughs) Yeah, they probably should have figured that out. So there you go. That's Iron Man. Now we're going to move on to our vision board. Usually the vision board, we talk about what we expect or want to happen in upcoming episodes of the Disney Plus series. For Iron Man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you want to see? A sequel? <laughs> yeah. I got more of this Robert Downey Jr. guy. That would be oh, great. Man. Instead, since obviously we know what's happened now with the MCU, we're going to talk about a couple of things that we know are coming up or think are coming up based on the Iron Man movies. The first one we should talk about, this is a recent thing that people were discussing. There was a billboard put by up by fans that they want Tony Stark to come back to the MCU. Spoiler, if you've only watched Iron Man, he dies later on. What? Hashed- I know, oh. I'm sorry. Their hashtag is bring back Tony Stark to life. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Pretty it's, awkward. But it sounds like out. something I would say. Yes, but to honor these fans a little bit, do you want to see Robert Downey Jr. come back as Iron Man at any point down the road? Or are you done with him? Are you done with him? Post Endgame, uh, I would see him in a little. I don't want to see another Iron Man movie or launch another trilogy of movies or whatever. Like, I, I think he can come back and be sort of um, featured in some way, or you know, he's in some sort of like Soul World, or he's in one of the Infinity Stones, or something where it's like I, I, bringing him back to life. I feel like is a mistake because it it just so harms the, yeah. the story that we've heard been told. Yeah. I agree with Justin, but I think that, yeah, like using them here and there a little bit, maybe in a flashback and you get like one scene in Black Widow with him or maybe like like in a a cameo and something else. But like just using him uh, lightly, you know, sprinkled them in every once in a while, I think would be fun, you know, but no need to recon what's happened. Um, I'm excited for what's maybe going to happen instead of bringing him back. But I do think that like. You know, that's the great thing about comic books is characters are never dead, dead. You know, they'll they'll come back around when people feel like it's appropriate or there's a powerful story to tell with them, you know? Like whoever's the next Iron Man, perhaps, there's an Iron Heart. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, Tony Stark is the Jarvis voice. Yes. Well, uh, let's talk about that in one second. The one thing that I wanted to mention about Black Widow before we move on for that is obviously we're going to see that pretty soon in July. But that takes place post-Civil War 
before Black Widow died. So there's certainly a possibility of Iron Man showing up in some way there. Uh, Also, we got the Loki series coming up, which seems to be jumping through timelines. So that's possible. And then there's the What If series, the animated one that's coming down the pike locally, where everybody is redoing their voices. So if there is an Iron Man episode, which I believe there is, I think we'll probably hear him in some way there. But let's talk about Ironheart. Uh, Ironheart is going to star Dominique Thorne as Riri Williams. She builds her own suit of armor. She is, I think in the comics, canonically smarter than Tony Stark is the way that they've set it up. Uh, But she also eventually gets an AI Tony Stark that is in her armor that is like her Jarvis. Uh, What do you think about that? Is there a possibility that we're going to get RDJ to reprise his role on that series as AI Tony Stark? I mean, yeah, I would think so. That feels like an easy win for everyone. Yeah, he's just got to do a couple of voiceover digs, you know, it's no big deal. <laughs> no big deal. It's no big deal. Yeah, oh, it'll be easy. Uh, that would be super fun, and I think that would make people very excited for that series, which I think people are already very excited about. And yeah. the other one that we kind of teased earlier on is there's an Armor Wars series coming with mm. Don Cheadle as War Machine, uh, and it is about when Tony Stark's tech falls into the wrong hands. Now, Justin, you're a huge Armor Wars head. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you psyched for this show? Yeah, I'm curious how they're going to tackle it. Like, I feel like they need more people we've already met to be in this and be in the armor, different armors. Um, who will that be? I don't know. Like, I don't know. They've see, killed like, most Lash. of them. I yeah. assume, I feel like we'll see Justin Hammer again. Maybe we'll talk about this more when we talk about Iron Man 2. But yeah, there's not a lot of ironed folks who are hang it around because they tend to kill off the villains of the MCU. Yeah, we don't have a lot of irons in the fire, and I think we need <laughs> more of them. Yes, uh, but that should be very exciting, and folks, thank you for tuning in to our Iron Man episode. Next week, we're going to be continuing to truck our way through the MCU with The Incredible Hulk, which surprisingly came out two months after Iron Man, which consistently blows my mind that that happened. Uh, but we're going to be talking about that next week. Also down the road, we're going to have some special guests on these episodes as we make our way to Loki debuting in June. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We love to chat with you about Iron Man or any aspect of the MCU at Marvel Vision Pod on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, I am Iron Man. I uh, know you're Alex what? Albin. How dare you smirch that? Yeah, don't hey. smirch it, bro. Hey, Pete, what uh, YouTube video did you watch? It was like all the great things about the movie Iron Man. <laughs>